What does the festive period look like when you're holding out hope for a wildcard berth in the Australian Open? What does your training look like across this period? What's it like getting a chance to play in a home Grand Slam in the first place? And what leads an Aussie to have their tennis journey run through the US college system before you hit the Pro Tour? And, matter of fact, why would someone willingly support Arsenal Football Club? I'm your host Joey Lynch, and this is Beyond the Lead with Alexander Vukic. Sydney-born Alexander Vukic is one of a number of Aussies eyeing off an elusive wildcard berth into next month's Australian Open, jostling with the likes of Alex Bolt, Thanasi Kokonakis, Chris O'Connell, Max Purcell and Mark Polmans for one of four slots likely to go to Australians. The 25-year-old has taken a bit of an unusual path to get to where he is on the Pro Tour, having spent 2014 to 2018 not on the road, but instead in the American Collegiate System with the University of Illinois. Named Big Ten Athlete of the Year in 2017 after going undefeated in conference singles play and 24-3 and overall. But now in 2021, having started his year by sending a scare through current world number 29 ranked Karen Khachanov in the first round of his home Grand Slam, Vukic is set to end this year at a career-high ranking of 156, the second highest of the Australians vying for a wildcard slot next month, and eager to once again get to experience playing in the showpiece event in front of friends and family. This is despite a COVID diagnosis ahead of the US Open that he admits took longer to completely clear than he would have hoped. In an extended chat, the right-hander talked to me about his previous experiences in Grand Slams, his mindset as a wildcard taking it to the big boys, the difference a Grand Slam appearance can make to a lower-ranked player battling away on the tour, his COVID experiences, and what keeps him occupied away from the court. But first, I asked him about what the festive period looks like for a player holding out hope for a, an elusive wildcard bid into the Australian Open. It's pretty much training most of the time. I think this is, this is the busiest period. I think for tennis players, for Aussie tennis players, we probably take the first week of December off. That's when we kind of relax. And um, I think during this, this break, we don't really relax. I'll, I'll take tomorrow off, but, uh, but I think I'm hitting Sunday on Boxing Day and, uh, you know, it gets started. We can't take too many days off now. This is where we need to kind of sharpen up. So, um, yeah, this is, this is where it all begins. So it's actually quite exciting. What does a uh, training day look like for you? Are you getting up early? Is it multiple gym sessions, multiple recovery? What's a training day look like for you? It just depends on, uh, it really just depends on, on kind of, you know, when it is during the preseason. Um, today, for instance, uh, I just finished my day. I, um, you know, I had 8.15 gym. Um, I had gym for an hour and a half. So, you know, a healthy, a healthy chunk of gym. And then, you know, recovered for maybe 15, had like, you know, a protein shake. And today was a bigger day. And today I, I played with uh, another fellow Aussie, Chris O'Connor. We just played a best of five sets. So we try to get into, um, you know, get our bodies used to everything. So, I mean, that lasted for, you know, three and a half hours of tennis. So um, today was a pretty hectic day. Um, and then, you know, tomorrow I have off. So I think that's why we pushed it today. But, you know, usually it's a few hours of fitness and, and a few hours of tennis a day. So I suppose you've certainly earned that uh, Christmas turkey or Christmas ham or whatever yeah. your poison is tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. 
my my mum just made a cake, so uh, I'm definitely going to be having a slice or four uh, tonight. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. Well, because I suppose with athletes such as yourself, you're training three, four hours a day. In it's not cold in the Australian summer either. So in that nah. heat and humidity, you you probably need to pack a lot of food away just to keep your body going, don't you? For sure, for sure. I think I think it's like the night before, or you know, they even say uh, during the training is when you should actually eat the most because that's when we lose so much. So like. Um, you know, a few, a few athletes even, even lose weight during this time because they just can't, can't get it back. So it's not so much as what we're eating as, as, as more trying to get it in. Um, but obviously, you know, it, there has to be some consideration, you know, I'll have a random, you know, maybe a cheat meal, you know, once or twice, once or twice a, a week, but it's not, I'm still, you know, eating, eating a, a decent, a decent meal for sure. Now, I think the gold standard in cheat meals is what The Rock likes to post on his Instagram yeah. and all that sort of stuff. What nah, does that's, what that's does your insane. cheat meal looks like? Nah, just just a, a good a good meal from a Porto or Red Rooster or something like that, mate. Uh, it's not uh, it's not twenty five pancakes and <laughs> as a as a as an uh, appetizer. You're obviously training very hard right now with the hope of an Aussie Open wildcard in the future. What does uh, the early uh, weeks of January look like for you as you go about the process of preparing and hopefully getting a wildcard slot into the Aussie Open. Yeah, so there's there's a kind of a few a few variables out there, obviously depending on on, on you know when if if I do get this wildcard, um, but I'm for sure playing the Melbourne 250, the main draw there. Um, so that'll be exciting, give give myself a good chance to you know go against the world's best, and then. It all depends on, um, you know, if I do get that wild card. If I do, then um, I'd, I'd hopefully play the Sydney 250 the week after and then, you know, the Aussie Open main draw. So it's a great three weeks, um, four, who knows. And then, um, you know, it's – and then the season starts and then it's just full on. So I think it's just – it's a great way to start the year and, um, you know, hopefully I can continue kind of what I did last year into, into the first few weeks. You've qualified for two Grand Slams in your career thus far, the 2020 French Open and also the 2021 Australian Open, and no respect to Roland Garros, but this is an Aussie podcast, so I'm going to ask you about the Aussie Open first. In the opening round, going up against uh, 19th-seeded uh, Russian, now pr- correct me if I get this wrong, Karen uh, Kachanov, what were your, lost in four sets, unfortunately, but what were your memories of that first opportunity to play a Grand Slam on home soil? Oh, un- unreal to play him. Um, it was it was pretty, uh, you know, it was pretty brutal after because it was once at all and I was actually up 5-2 double break in the third. Um, so, you know, for me, how I play, I rely a lot on my serve and, and my pretty aggressive game style. So when I was kind of up 5-2 in the third, I, I kind of relaxed and, you know, it's, it's one of those where if I get two sets to one up, who knows? Who knows what could have happened? So, you know, right after that match, I was like, you know, I was pretty disappointed, which is, uh, it was, it was pretty interesting because leading into it, it was all, all excitement, nothing to lose. But then I came off, um, and it was a little disappointing, but, um, it was an unbelievable experience. And I think one that will definitely help with this summer, um, and using that, using that experience. So, um, it was just so nice to, you know, I have, like you mentioned, I have played the French open and, and qualified there and played the main draw there. Um, but there's nothing like playing in, in Australia. So um, 
you know, if I were to do it again this year, that that'd be amazing. Last year, obviously, with COVID, everything was so up in the air. Were your family able to come down to Melbourne to watch you in those games? You're a born and bred Sydney boy. Were they able to make the trip down from New South Wales that year? They were. They were. You know, my close family and then a few, a few mates and and and, and more family came down. So it was. Uh, I had a lot of people, you know, close close friends and family cheering for me. So it's awesome having them there because you know, like you said, this. This year has been very tough, so I have been majority, you know, by myself or with, you know, a person or two. Um, so for them as well, I know, you know, my parents, my parents love, you know, watching me play. I know my dad loves watching me practice, so I can't even, I'm, I'm thrilled when he can get to kind of watch me play. Because mm. when we often think about tennis players, it's often we're talking about the Novak Djokovic's, the Rafael Nadal's, the guys at the very top of the tree who travel a lot, but they're also living rather comfortably, uh, let's just say, off living tennis. Somebody such as yourself that's on the tour, getting out there and trying to play as much as possible, how difficult is it for you to just keep at it when you're oftentimes on the road and you know you don't know when your next paycheck is going to come from? How difficult is that for you? It's, it's, it's challenging. It, it's, it's just a different life, to be honest. I think I don't really look at it as, uh, you know, grinding, grinding year to year. I'm, I'm having, you know, my, my goal is, is not necessarily a number, but it's, it's to, to max out my potential and to see what I can do, whether that's, you know, top 100, top 50, wh wh whatever it is, is I want to see the best I can do. So every year is another opportunity to kind of push that and to see um and as tennis players we make the most money through grand slams um and so if you can peak in grand slam performance then you're actually going to have a decent financial year and and pretty actually comfortable even if you're playing qualifying um however if you don't peak then you're not so a guy let's say around my ranking a guy a guy 150 could be looking at a profit obviously depending on their expenses and, and their coaches, but a guy 150 could be looking at a profit of around 200K Aussie or 30K, just depending on their, how they spent it and, how, and when they performed well, basically. So it's actually, it is quite extreme. Um, and it's hard to get uh, loans <laughs> when the bank... <laughs> When the bank has no idea what's going on, they look at this guy and, and the prize money is all over the place. Um, but it is it is challenging. But at the end of the day, you know, we can only do this for, you know, a short period of time. So it's one of those where give it all, kind of look back. If you can do it, great, go for it. And then, you know, you got a whole life after the career as well. So it's remarkable to think about it, Alex. Like, as you said, ranked around 150, but you know, to be amongst the 150 best male tennis players in the world, that's no small feat. This, and But you're still having to go through that uncertainty. Like you and I are both football fans. I have certainly imagine the 150th best male footballer <laughs> in the world uh, isn't having to deal with those problems, um, no. isn't it? But, but you coming up, you're ranked 156, I think, in the world, a career high yeah. for you. At the moment, what sort of development and growth did you experience over the last year as you made through the ranks? Where in your game do you think this improvement is coming from? Yeah, well, actually, go, go, going back to that 150 in the world for, for football, I think I think they'd be making 200K a week, let alone a year. <laughs> um, but 
I uh, yeah, it was it was listen, it was it was a challenging year last year. I think for every tennis player, especially Aussie tennis players who couldn't come back home, um, it was more. I left you know in the beginning of March into Feb, um, you know, not knowing when I would come home. I think you know going on the road and you know you know that you know you can always come back home in two three months. It's a lot easier. Um, so it was quite challenging for everyone, and I had you know a lot of ups and downs, and um, uh, I actually got COVID the week before US Open, um, and that you know that was kind of disappointing. Like I said, that's you know a big financial um, part part of the year, and a big opportunity to to kind of showcase you know your talent and, and all that, um, and that kind of set me back a little. But but I I really tried to just prove to myself that you know. I was better than, than the year I was having and kind of just put my head down and focus on every tournament and had a really consistent and, and good good end of the year, um, which put me in a decent position right now for, for a, de- a good summer. So um, it was one of those where I really learned that um, you, you really do need to kind of, even if you're having good results or bad results, have a good team around you and, 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 and if you guys have the same goal and belief, just head down and, and just keep going because there's a lot of things that can kind of get in the way. But if you're if you're determined and 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 willing, it you're just you're just going to be hard to beat on the court. You know, no matter they have to be on. And and the difference in level between guys is so small that if if you're there, you're gonna you're gonna put yourself in a good opportunity to win. You mentioned having a good team around you. Around you, give them a shout out. Who do you have around you supporting you and helping you get the best out of yourself? Oh, there's, you know, there's, there's so, there's, there's so many, but I think, you know, who, who helped me up in the last year, obviously, you know, my, my parents and, and, and brother, my, my, my close family, you know, they, they watch every, they watch every match. And, um, I had, uh, Jay Gooding, um, he was contracted by Tennis Australia and Aussie living in, in the U S. So I had him in the last few months, um, of the year, but then, you know, I, I did attend U S college and, and I talk regularly with, uh, the head coach at my college at the University of Illinois, um, Brad Dancer. So, um, you know, it's those guys that there's there's only a few people that truly believe in you and and, and want you to like to succeed. So you got to stick with them and and kind of and and do your thing. I did want to ask you about your time at the University of Illinois, but before that, you mentioned getting COVID. Unfortunately, before the US Open, when you get the actual diagnosis of COVID, are you as an athlete worried like you've heard the stories about long COVID you don't know if what this will do to your cardiovascular conditioning was that something that flashed through your head what are you thinking when you get that diagnosis a little bit for sure it was just in a strange position because there was the those three of us at in Orlando training uh me Alex Bolton Jason Kubler and so me and Bolt ended up getting it from Jason he got it first so when I did feel sick I was I was trying to be positive and be like maybe it's heat exhaustion you know it was bloody hot but no it was COVID um, and the first thing that kind of I mean it was it was it was more just you know I missed 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 US Open and then I was monitoring how I was feeling and I was feeling quite tired um, but you know I was talking with fitness coaches, doctors, you know, from, from Tennis Australia. And they were the big thing was just to try to ease into it. Um, I think if you do push it early, it can last longer um, from what they were saying. So it was really just monitoring the, the load and, and, and going back into that. And it is something in the back of my head. I, 
I, I do think that it did affect me, you know, longer than the two weeks um, in terms of getting back to full fitness and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where at, at this rate, especially in Australia, every, you know, so many people are, are getting it and, and hopefully people are recovering, covering well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll ask you about the college now. It, it's a bit unusual. Like when people think about college sports, they're often thinking about March madness, uh, bowl season in the gridiron, maybe not yeah. so much tennis. Walk me through the process of what made you decide to pursue a collegiate career at the University of Illinois, I believe the Fighting Illini um, there in Champaign, Illinois. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite it's quite unusual. I think the way, the way I, you know, went there because I wasn't going to go to college. It's not a huge thing um, for Aussies to go to college tennis, massive in the U S it's, 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 it's very big, but you know, for Aussie players, there haven't been too many that have gone there and kind of been successful and and done all that. And I think, you know, I went to a relatively more academic school in in, in Sydney and, and actually enjoyed my studies. And so, you know, finished, finished the high school there and, and then try to, you know, go full-time pro at the age of 17, but really struggled mentally mm-hmm. to um, enjoy it, to be honest, just being on the road um, without all my, my friends and family. And, and I just didn't enjoy it and didn't see myself doing it for the next, you know, 15 or so years. Um, and so I generally thought that I was going to burn out if I kept doing it and, you know, and then I know there was college and it looked so appealing and just, you know, continue my studies, have a team around you. And um, yeah, I, I went there and, and uh, kind of wanted to prove people that it is a way. Um, it is one way to go about things and there's no one path for everyone. And I think it just depends on, on the person, their personality and, you know, college tennis can be an unbelievable tool because I mean, the facilities there, are, uh, you know, incredible where you look at we might have that uh, those college tennis courts you know maybe in two or three places in australia and they have it in in every college over there so it's uh it's it's incredible so the way you use it um you can be very successful and i think we are seeing a lot more aussies going there for tennis and i think it just again it it depends on the person and their ambition and 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 how they want to go about it because I mean, you're getting to develop yourself as a tennis player and also getting that free education, aren't you? And studying, sure. like, what did you get your degree in at, at Illinois? I did finance. Um, so I, I finished with finance, um, but I actually had enrolled in University of Sydney in mm-hmm. sports and exercise physiology because that kind of interests me. Um, so I was going to do that, deferred it, obviously never came back. Um, <laughs> and then they just had a really good uh, finance program over there. And, I mean, I don't mind math, so I was just like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do that, yeah. Do you have any, what's your favourite memory of being a collegiate tennis player? Any tournaments, any, I don't know, major frat parties? I don't know, what was the big thing? <laughs> yeah, it depends, it depends on what memories. But I think, <laughs> um, I think for me, uh, it was, we played University of Virginia, who were number one at the time. And the way the college tennis works, it's, it's basically each singles match is worth a point. Um, and I was the last singles match and it was tied at three, three and it was up to me. And I ended up winning with this crazy point on match point six, four on the third to clinch it. And everyone came on like American style, like, you know, on the court. And I think that was probably my, my, my best memory over there. But I mean, there were so many. Mm. And now 
as you've transitioned into the program, I think you, you hinted at it a bit earlier in our conversation about how you went into that game at the Aussie Open with the I've got nothing to lose sort of mindset. What sort of mindset does a player who's just getting onto the, onto the pro tour, what sort of mindset do they need to adapt when they're coming up against bigger names, traveling all over the world and heading into these big games? What is it? Is it that I've got nothing to lose mindset that you think works best? What works in that situation? I think, I think it depends. I think it depends on the person and kind of what, what you know, what drives them. Um, I think you, they have to be relaxed, especially against, um, you know, a higher ranked opponent or a very much higher ranked opponent, even though the level isn't that, that, that different, the pressure is going to be on that higher ranked opponent, you know, when they draw a wild card or something like that, for sure. Um, so one of the best things to do is, is to be relaxed and at the end of the day, go, you know, try your best. But they also, the other players are going to be very nervous, you know, so, you know, make them play when needed. Um, but, you know, like you said, I think it is, you have to be, you have to be relaxed and you have to just have a little belief as well, though, not, not be like, I can't win um, going into it and be like, Oh, what, like, let's see, let me get a few games or something like that. You have to have a little bit of belief and, you know, that comes from experience um, and, and training and, and all that. But um, you definitely have to stay relaxed as, as much as you can. Mm. And off the court, we touched on a little, you've got a finance degree from the University of Illinois, but understand you're also a football fan growing up, the round ball version um, of the game. I think yeah. you even you even played it for a while before you uh, transitioned did, full-time yeah. into tech. Who'd you play for up there in Sydney? Oh, I was playing for uh, Epping Eastwood. Uh, I think they're called the Tigers here. So um, it was it wasn't definitely wasn't as good. Um, as a, a football player, as was tennis, but uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. What, still position, what position did you play? Because you're a pretty tall lad. Were you a centre back or? I was. No, I was a striker actually. Oh, there you go. I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't actually that that tall when I was younger. So it was the classic lob the ball over the defenders <laughs> and I'd sprint and get onto it. Um, very tactical game back in the under twelves. But uh, yeah, <laughs> actually, but if I would play now, I'd. I'd, I'd I'd see myself more as like a CDM role, you know, or a centre back for sure. Yeah, so well, I'll lob the ball over the top and chase it, mate. You could still fit in some A League teams, but that's enough yeah. of that. Um, <laughs> but you're also, uh, and apologies to the the white half of North London listening onto this, but you're also an Arsenal fan. How long have you yep. been an Arsenal fan, and what do you think of the job that Mikel Arteta is doing at the moment? Oh, uh, I uh, I've been an Arsenal fan for probably four or five years which is which has been horrendous because um it's been a it's been getting worse and worse um until kind of Arteta's come in this last year but uh you know I I've always I've always loved the Premier League and ever since my my brother did his his MBA over there and so I was visiting him a lot and I think it was 2017 or 2016 I, I visited him and we watched Arsenal Chelsea at the Emirates and ever since then, I've just, you know, I was so amazed by everything and, and really, really took into it. And, and now, you know, I watch pretty much every game, um, you know, tough, sometimes tough with the time change here. So I watch the replay, but I watch every game and um, yeah, I love it. And, and you know, Arteta's doing, he's doing a good job. He's getting, he's getting those young players, you know, right now top four. So they, you know, 
I think you can't you can't really criticize Arteta just because they've got such a young team and they're top four right now. So, you know, this it has it's been a while since it's been top four. Mm-hmm. I don't know if 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 as as I've been a supporter, we've been top four much. So I'm I'm taking it as it comes, but definitely not having my expectations high. That's what I've learned. Yeah, you can't turn down a UEFA Champions League berth any day of the week, especially no. for how that can boost a side. But I mean Long time, long days on the road, Alex. When you're doing the tennis, lots of times in hotel rooms. Do you play FIFA? Do you get the chance to do video games and during the wind down? Is that some? I, I you hear a lot about athletes doing that. Are you a video game man as well? Yeah, I am. I am actually right before this, I was I was playing some FIFA. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I've uh, I've actually gotten gotten actually at a decent level, like which is which is not good because I've just been putting that many hours into it. Um, but at the end of last year, I actually didn't play that much. I, I couldn't really be bothered. But, you know, now that I'm home, have a bit more downtime and, and you know, after long training days, it's, it's actually nice to switch on, you know, some FIFA or something like that and, and play it on. Uh, but play it and, yeah, I, I actually do really enjoy it. Mm, I mean, maybe we do have E-League sites down here in Australia. Maybe Sydney FC could give you a call and get you on board for their E-League yeah. team <laughs> for a little while, mate. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how that would go. I, but, uh, but yeah, might as well. I. And Alec, you mentioned earlier in our chat as well about how you don't like to set targets on numbers or anything like that. You just want to see how far um, your skills can take you. How far, I mean, you'd say you don't focus on numbers. Do you have like tournaments in mind that like, I want to reach X point of Y tor- uh, tournaments or something like that. What are your goals for the future? Yeah, I think it's, you know, obviously I have, you know, the, the top 100 in, in my mind. I think it's on everyone's mind. Um, but it's, it's not something that, you know, I think I think once you start putting that in and start, it's, it's very easy to start hoping for it, basically. Um, and, and it's, I think you got to just not hope for the number and just focus on your game and focus on, on the present and focus on, you know, that point or that match and, and, and just repeat. And, and then, and then top hundred can, or, or, you know, it it might come, but it's not going to just come magically. Um, It has to come from, from the matches that you, that you do play. Um, But, you know, at the end of last year, when I was playing at the, at the challenger level, um, you know, I played my last three challenges. I went into trying in my head, with a very ambitious goal of, of trying to win three of all three of those. I was, I was kind of just like, I'm going to, I'm going to put this as a target. Um, and ma- made a final of one lost first round of the other made a final of the third lost to the same guy all three times. Um, but it was one of those where I think, you know, I, I kept having that goal so that you're kind of never not, not satisfied with, with a decent, decent result because it's very easy to be, make a semi and be like that was a good week and kind of not you know not give you your best there or just kind of relax a little bit too much in the semi so it is important to have those goals um so i think coming you know into into this year i'll just kind of look at each tournament um as it comes or each swing and it's one of those where you know i'm still unsure of what exactly i am playing but i'll definitely have a pretty ambitious goal um and and just kind of go for it i mean you know it's again i don't think i don't think i have nothing to lose really you know it's so it'll be uh it'll be a great few weeks and i guess maybe just like 
last one from me, Alex. If you were to get the wild card into the Aussie Open for 2022, just what would it mean for you uh, as a person to get another chance to play a Grand Slam in your home country? Yeah, I mean, to, to play the home Grand Slam, you know, main draw, you're playing with the best in the world and, and you know, with the, with the home crowd, it's, it's what, I mean, it's what you dream dream when when you're you know when when you're a kid playing and on the local park courts you know and, and you know you you always come back from practice something the tennis is on at night and you're just like wow these guys are, are idols uh, are heroes and then you know to be able to play in the same tournament as these guys and on the big stage it, it is you know once you do look at it like that it is it is a huge huge honor and uh yeah i mean if i'm able to play uh, it, it would be a huge honor and, and I'd give it my best, but it's, it's one of those where it, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. Wait. Well, I guess I can definitely say all my fingers and toes crossed for you that you get that wild card berth into the Aussie open. You come down here and to Melbourne and who knows what can happen once you're actually, you've got to be in it to win it, so to speak. So who knows exactly. what will happen from there, but Alex, exactly. very much appreciate you joining us today on ESPN's beyond the lead. Good luck with, your quest for the Aussie Open and then beyond that and maybe another French Open, maybe a Wimbledon, maybe a US Open, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Thanks, Joey. The Melbourne ATP 250, headlined by Rafael Nadal, will kick off for Vukic on January 4 and should he indeed receive a wildcard berth into the Aussie Open, he will then head back to Sydney for the Sydney ATP 250 the next week as preparations for that Grand Slam ramp up. The Aussie Open itself will then commence on January 17, with the 25-year-old no doubt hoping that that tournament will be the one that brings him his first career Grand Slam victory on the third attempt. And you can expect comprehensive coverage of that tournament across ESPN.com.au. But for now, I'd like to thank you for joining us on another edition of ESPN's Beyond the Lead, this time for a conversation between myself and Australian Open wildcard hopeful Alex Vukic. I've been your host, Joey Lynch, and as a reminder, you can catch this episode, every other episode of Beyond the Lead, and indeed, all of ESPN's collection of podcasts and audio goodness, wherever you happen to get your podcasts from. If you're enjoying Beyond the Lead, or any of those other pods, be sure to subscribe while you're there and help spread the word. Alternatively, if you're not enjoying yourself, let's just maybe keep it between us, you know, a little secret. I won't tell if you don't. (laughs) Anyway, if it's the former which I very much hope it is, I'll catch you for another deep dive into sports as ESPN takes you beyond the lead very soon.